today in Arlington Cemetery. My mother and father share a grave marker, and on that marker are listed three. Um, and I say it that way because not only did my dad serve during three wars for our country, my mother served as well. Uh, the families who stay behind, the spouses, the children, um, they bear a burden and they pay a price and uh, sometimes that price is long-lasting. And so, uh, happy Veterans Day and we're so thankful for those who fought, gave their lives that we might enjoy freedom thus far and thankful for those who serve now and guarantee our, our freedom today. Um, it was 100 years ago that our nation started celebrating Armistice Day. It was to celebrate the end of World War I, the war to end all wars, the war to make the world safe for democracy. And we look back on that now 100 years later, and we realize the war to end wars just led to more wars, wars after that. It's just seemingly an endless sequence of war. It was a war to make the world's safe for democracy, and yet tyranny still reigns, and oppression still is real. It's almost as if the Bible is true when it tells us that that beast that is the incarnation of evil with the seven heads, you cut off one, another one grows back. One day ISIS will be forgotten, the, the, the evil of terrorism will be destroyed, but what I can tell you is the human heart being what it is, some other evil will come up. Some other evil will come up. But we are not in despair, and we are not hopeless, and we are not discouraged. For what we know is that God is guiding the course of history, and one day people are going to look up, and they're going to say, who is that coming back in the clouds? And we'll say, that's our Lord Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow, whether it's things in heaven or on earth or beneath the earth. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is our hope, and this is our praise, and this is our thanksgiving. Let's look at the book of Ephesians, written to the church at Ephesus. The, uh, the uh, letter to the Ephesians, we're still in chapter 1. We've been looking at the opening verses, starting at verse 3. I remind you that the thought pattern the, in the Greek, really, the, uh, the, the sentence structure goes all the way down to verse 14. But uh, uh, we've been taking it in smaller chunks, uh, understanding that these verses are divided into three parts, separated by the phrase, to the praise of God's glorious grace or to the praise of His glory. Uh, the first part that we've been looking at so far uh, has to do really with the work of the Father that uh, Paul says, let's bless God who blessed us, and here's what he blessed us with, the blessing of our election, that those who believe in Jesus Christ, those who uh, receive Christ as Lord and Savior, they have been chosen by God before the foundation of the world. And not only that, but the Father has predestined us. He's given us a destiny, and that is to be adopted as children into his family so that even Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers. And so we are adopted to look like our big brother, Jesus. 
And so these, these great blessings, the, the work of the Father, our election and our predestination. Uh, but now we move on to the next part, and it's not as though we're leaving the Father behind to now talk about the Son. For what God does, all of God does. Whatever God accomplishes, all of God accomplishes. The fullness of the Godhead accomplishes these things. So now as we look at what are, are more particularly, uh, perhaps, blessings in the Son, in Jesus Christ, he'll talk about our redemption, the forgiveness of our sins, for example. This is still the work of the Father in the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Later on, um, sometime next year, I think, uh, when we get to um, the last part of this paragraph and we're talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, it is the work of the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Son, the fullness of the Godhead. So while we're shifting perhaps our focus of attention, we're still focused on the entirety of the Godhead. But we do move now uh, more particularly to the work of the second person of the Trinity, and that is the work of the Son. Now, what I want to do uh, for us this morning is to begin our look at verses 7 through 10. And uh, uh, to get us a rolling start into that, we'll back up to verse 3 so you see how all this is developing. The theme verse here, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's bow together in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we bow before you always conscious and aware of the depth of our need for your saving grace. Father, knowing that our sin is vile and reprehensible, it is an offense to you. Knowing, Father, that there is within ourselves nothing that we could bring to you that would be worthy of you. But, Father, also knowing that your grace in Jesus Christ has been shed abroad into our hearts by the work and the ministry of your Holy Spirit so that you would move us to come to you, that you would incline us to worship you, Father, that you would change our hearts and remold our will that we would desire you and love you. Father, we bow down before you, conscious of our sinfulness, but, Father, aware and made conscious of your grace toward us. And that is our hope, Father, that is our certainty, that is our assurance, that our salvation is your grace, not our works. And so, Father, I pray for the continuing work of your Holy Spirit, that you would just descend upon every person in this room, do the work that is pleasing in your eyes, that you would draw us ever closer to you, give us a stronger sense of faith and commitment and devotion. And, Father, move that heart here today that needs to receive Christ that this would be the moment, this would be the hour. Father, we thank and praise you for what you are doing, what you are about to do in our midst, thanking you in Jesus' name. I get here at the church, our routine is that I pull into the circle and I drop her off at the office entrance.
She goes in and I take the car and I take it to the back side of the world and uh, park my car over there. You're welcome to join me, those of you. Uh, but uh, did that this morning and as Debbie got out of the car, uh, I said to her, see you in a sec. And I got to thinking, what a terrible thing to do to people who are learning English as a second language. See you in a sec? What is a sec? You know, it's bad enough, you know, that you, you teach English as a second language and people learn, how do you say goodbye? You say, goodbye. You know, goodbye it comes from some 16th century concoction of words, 15th century, uh, of uh, God be with you. And so whenever you say goodbye, you're saying God be with you. Uh, and that's pretty much accepted today. But see you in a sec. I mean, who would ever teach that to anybody? But, uh, you know, I was looking at that this week. It's not like I always think about these things. But I was looking at it this week about uh, how you say goodbye in English, especially if you're teaching that to somebody who is just learning the language. And found a nice article on 17 ways to say goodbye in English like a native speaker. And what I want to tell you is not only are there 17 ways to say goodbye, each one of those has subdivisions of, of, of what to say. Um, for instance, you can say, uh, uh, oh, um, um, have a good one. Good one what? <laughs> well, then have a good day. You know, remember that that really went around. We still say that, you know, have a good day. Um, that's traced back, by the way, back to the 1920s as the first recorded instance of someone saying, have a good day to somebody else. And, and of course, it became popular with that little smiley face thing, you know, the circle with the two. I'm not making this up, am I? Now, just type, uh, what is it, colon and three, and you get some kind of scrunchy. Never mind. But uh, they're, they're keystrokes that do all these kinds of things. But that little smiley face uh, a guy came up with that in 1965. He worked for an insurance company, and they said, we need something to help people feel good around here. Could you create something? He said, sure. It took him 15 minutes, <laughs> like it would take a long time. And he came up with that, and he got paid for it, $45. Can you imagine if he had royalties on the smiley face? But anyway, that, that's neither here. But have a good day, you know, uh, uh, is, is, is a way to, to, uh, to say goodbye. Um, take care. Uh, is another way to say goodbye. Um, you know, the good thing about English, though, is you can say goodbye in every language, and, and everybody in English knows what it is. You can say adios, auf Wiedersehen, um, you know, au revoir, uh, you know, all these, ciao. <laughs> you know, the, you, you can, sayonara, for that matter. You, you can take just about any language, and English has appropriated the goodbye part of it uh, at the very least. And so um, I'm starting to feel really... Um, for the, the people who are learning English as a second language because we confuse them by how to say goodbye. For instance, if you want to say goodbye, you might say, good night. But you would never say, good evening. Good evening is hello. Good night is goodbye. Who came up with that? <laughs> but there's one way of saying goodbye uh, that, um, that I ran across. I don't use it myself, and it's only been uh, really in, in American culture for about the last 20 years that, that I've been aware of it or so. Um, and uh, uh, it's have a blessed day. Have a blessed day. Now, I don't, I don't use that myself. I think it's because I don't have enough nerve. 
um, and, and various other reasons. But, but have a nice day. Uh, I actually ran across an article by a guy who was uh, offended when people said to him, have a nice day. You guessed it. He, it, it was something called out of the atheist or something. And, and he would say, who are you to tell me to have a blessed day that I have to rely upon some mythical God creature to make my days happy? Why don't say have a nice day to me? Why can't you just say bye-bye? It's because have a nice day is a lot nicer. That's one thing. But that says more about that person than it does about the, 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 the way to say goodbye. Have a nice day. But I got to thinking about that. You know, when somebody says, have a nice day. The unbeliever, the atheist, is going to take real offense. Oh, you dare to mention God anywhere in the world. You know, that's a terrible, terrible thing. Well, then don't say goodbye either, you know, that kind of thing. But sometimes my response to that isn't, isn't really what it ought to be because have a nice day, I get what you're saying, all that, but you know, God's going to have to work a miracle to make this day blessed. I mean, the way this day's going, he's going to have to turn things around, and he's going to have to turn them around quick. If God's going to make this a blessed day, he's going to have to just open up heaven and just rain stuff down on me right now because this is not a real good blessed day going on right here. And then I started to understand that when someone says, have a blessed day, they're wishing well for me. They're wishing that, you know, those kinds of blessings would come my way. But it's really a reminder, you are having a blessed day because there is a God in heaven who loves you. It's not in doubt. It's not in question. It's not as though we're saying, we hope there is a God who blesses people. We know there's a God who blesses people. And so have a blessed day. Come to that understanding that this is the day. The Lord made it. We need to rejoice. We need to be glad in this day. When you come to understand that believers in Jesus Christ do not live under the circumstances of the moment. We don't live under the accidental happenings that are around us. We are not victims of, of, the, of the events that, that may be a part of our environment. We don't live under the circumstances. We live in the unbreakable, unalterable, eternal, everlasting blessings of God. And oh, once you come to understand that, it transforms your world. People who know that this is a blessed day find that a hospital room has changed. The doctor may have said no hope, but you know that this is a blessed day because we have hope in Jesus Christ. Someone may have told you that, that you know, your life is, is, a, is about to take a very bad downturn, that, that uh, the, the career isn't going to go the way you want, or maybe the relationship isn't going to go the way you want, or, or whatever it is, the finances are falling apart, you know, and, and the ups and downs of the market are more likely today, the downs and bigger downs of the market. But, you know, those kinds of things going on, when you know you're living in a blessed day of God, it transforms that day. And you just look at it, we've got a God who is the, the owner. He's the possessor. He's the master. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, you know. And a little thing like the market isn't going to affect us. You see, when you come to understand that you live every day in the blessings of God because God is blessed and God is a God who blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, it just transforms your life. And I think that's why Paul sets that out as the theme of the opening paragraph of Ephesians chapter 1. You remember that? He says, blessed be God. What it, it doesn't mean, oh, let's give God something he doesn't. It, no, God is blessed. He is to be blessed. He's to be honored. He's to be praised. Let's bless and praise God. Bless his holy name. Let's bless God who has blessed us. Bless God who has blessed us with every 
spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then Paul, you know, he just starts rattling them off. You know, we would look for things like, oh, who has blessed us with, with, with spiritual blessings? Oh, there must be happiness in there, or there, there must be a victory in there, or there, there must be answers given in there, or there must be a, a, an, an, a door opening somewhere. No, Paul goes bigger than that. Paul goes deeper than that. Paul goes broader than that. And by the time he gets through, a third of the way through, he's got to stop and say, let's give praise to the glorious grace of God in Christ Jesus. And then he gets two-thirds of the way through, and he says, let's pause and give God glory for his grace. And then he comes to the end of it, and he says, folks, the only thing we can do is give God glory for what he has done. Let us bless God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And he says, you know, one of those blessings is, is your election. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, it's because God chose you before the foundation of the world. Do you understand that? What a blessed piece of knowledge. Just blessed to know that God's affection and love and grace for me extends back beyond eternity into the present and to eternity future. That his election of me isn't dependent upon circumstances, but solely upon God's gracious nature and his love for me in Christ Jesus. He says, let's bless God because he's blessed us with election. He's blessed us with predestination. He's blessed us with an adoption into his family. He's blessed us so that Jesus is unashamed to call us his brothers and his sisters. God has blessed us in that way, and he's blessed us uh, so that we, we just praise God for the glory of his grace. And then he says, in the beloved, that is in Christ Jesus. And that brings us to verse 7. Where Paul says, in him, that is, in the beloved, in Christ. Now, he's not saying, oh, God's through blessing us. No, it's, it's all of one piece. It's all one God. One God, three persons. And so, in Christ, the Father still working through the Son. So, he says, in him, in the beloved, we have redemption. You know, the Bible has several words that it uses for salvation. In fact, the... Um, um, the Greek word for salvation, sozo, um, is a word that means to make healthy or to heal. Um, when Jesus says your faith has healed you, he's using that word sozo that we oftentimes uh, translate as saved you. Or, uh, and so from the medical realm, there's a picture of salvation as taking that which is diseased, that which is actually dead, and that which is putrid, and bringing it to life and giving it health and giving it wholeness. We are saved in that sense. We were lost, but now we are found. We were lost and apart from God, but the good shepherd searched through the bushes and over the highways and byways. He went across the hillsides till he found us. Oh, you, oh I, 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 this is a freebie. You know when the good shepherd finds that sheep, that sheep is wet, and he puts him on his shoulders and carries Do you know what wet sheep smell like? Oh, how much he loves us. <laughs> oh, how much he loves us. You know. From the temple analogy, there's the sacrifices. John the Baptist, he pointed at Jesus, said, Behold, the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. He said, This Jesus, he's the sacrificial Lamb, Christ, our Passover, sacrificed for us that even as God gave the, the saints of the Old Testament a picture of his grace by saying, you are liable for your sins, but there's a way of forgiveness. 
and I'm going to give you a picture of what that looks like. You bring the, the sacrifice to me, and that the life of the sacrifice will be poured out instead of your life. And so that, that, that sacrifice is a picture of someone taking your place and shedding the blood so that you can live. And out of the, out of the, 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 the picture of the, the temple and the sacrifices, we get a wonderful word like propitiation. It means that God's wrath was taken from us because Jesus died in our place. From the courtroom comes the the concept of justification, that we stand guilty before God. We are guilty in our sins. We deserve condemnation. We deserve that wrath of God. We stand before God guilty as charged. But Jesus Christ dying for us, God takes his righteousness and puts it on us so that when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see us clothed in unrighteousness and the filthiness of our, of our good works, but rather he sees us clothed in the righteousness of Christ and seeing us in the righteousness of Christ declares us not guilty. And we are justified. We are made one. We are put in line with God's design for righteousness because of Jesus Christ. And so we are justified in him. Oh, in, this, in the world of relationships, we get a word like reconciliation, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. What we had done had broken that relationship. What we had done had, had, had just put us afar off from God where we didn't want anything to do with God at all. But out of his grace, he sent Jesus Christ to bring us unto himself. And by his gracious mercy, we are brought to him. And we are, if you will, we are made friends with God again. The relationship is put together so that we are reconciled to God, no longer enemies, but now the friends of God, as the Bible talks about it at some point. And so you have from the world of relationships, you have that word reconciliation. But the word Paul uses here in Ephesians is, 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 is the word redemption, and that's a word that comes from the marketplace. It's a picture of what happens when a slave is being sold. There's a price put on that slave's life. And he is a slave, and he is told to be a slave for life. There's, if you ever want some interesting reading, just read about all the laws and legalities of slavery in ancient Rome that were, that were going on in the days of the New Testament. And so Paul's readers would understand this entirely. But when you bought a slave and set him free, you were redeeming him out of his slave. It means you bought him back out of his slavery and set him free. And Paul says, God has blessed us with redemption. He has bought us out of our slavery. He has paid the price. Let me give you an Old Testament illustration of that. Um, you may turn here. It's Hosea chapter 3. We're just going to read the first three verses, Hosea chapter 3. If not, I'll be reading it for you. What you need to understand is Hosea the prophet was called by God to marry a woman. And as she gave birth to children, each one had a prophetic name. But evidently, by this point in chapter 3, she has left Hosea. She has gone away from him. She's gone to other men. Some have suggested, and it is a good likelihood, she may have returned to a profession of prostitution where she is selling herself. And so God comes to Hosea, and the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman. It's not, not just any woman, but, but specifically your wife. Go to the woman in your life. Go to your wife. God said to Hosea, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. 
Oh, can you imagine the heartache in Hosea's life? This woman that he took for his wife deserted him. This woman that he had given himself to, she took other men to herself. This woman who, by the laws of the land, was committed to him, broke that commitment and went to other men and other relationships. Oh, some of you can imagine the heartaches. Some of you have been there. And you know the real pain and the agony. And God says to Hosea, this woman who has crushed you, you go love her again. You go love her again. And then he says this, you go love her even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, even as the Lord loves us who are sinners, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. All right, put down that English muffin with raisins in it. Don't you ever eat that? We really don't know what the cakes of raisins mean. Our, Our best guess is that it has to do with some aspect of idol worship. That's the best we can figure. But whatever it is, they had turned to other gods and God said, Hosea, I'm, I'm, I'm calling you to be just like I am in my love for Israel. And so Hosea was called to go and to find his wife, an adulteress, living with another man. And it says this, so I bought her. I bought her for 15 shekels of silver. Oh, what a tragedy when a woman's life has come to the point where she can be bought. But oh, the glory and oh, the, the grace when she finds out She's been bought by the one man on all the earth who actually loves her, who actually wants her, who actually seeks her well-being. So Hosea says, I went and I bought her. It was 15 shekels of silver, a homer and a lethic of barley and commentaries will tell you what that means. But he said, I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. So this this isn't a temporary thing. We're not just living out an illustration here. We're living out real life, and you're going to be mine now, and it's going to be for a long time. You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, and so will I also be to you. God said that in Christ Jesus, he has redeemed us. He has bought us back out of our infidelity, our unfaithfulness, and our rejection and rebellion against God. He has redeemed us, and he's paid the price. And the price God paid is the blood of Jesus. It says we have redemption through the blood. The blood of Jesus stands for the life of Christ, the fullness of his life poured out for us on the cross. See, there on the cross, Jesus died for us. He died in our place. When his blood was shed, it wasn't a case of, well, he got a paper cut and said, well, I've got nothing better to do. Maybe I'll save a couple of people. No, he poured out his life for us. We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. You see, in our sin, when we rebelled against God, we sinned against God, we earned death. Death should have been ours. Jesus died the death we deserved. He is our substitute. Jesus died in our place. And because Jesus died for us, we will never die. We will live forevermore. 
Oh, when we sinned against God, we told God, I don't want you in my life. I don't want you to be a part of my life. And because of our sin, we were separated from God and destitute from God. Because of our sin, we wanted nothing to do with God in our place. And because of our sin, we deserve to be separated from God then for all eternity. But on the cross, Jesus, as he poured out his blood, cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And because Jesus suffered the God-forsakenness of our sin, we will never be forsaken by God. When Jesus died on the cross, he suffered the ridicule of those who taunted him, those who made fun of him. In our sin, we ridicule the things of God and we ridicule the Savior. But when Jesus died on the cross and poured out his blood for us, he suffered the ridicule and the taunts of a sinful world so that we might be brought to give him praise and honor and glory. This is not our doing. This is what God has done for us when he redeemed us by the blood of the Lamb. Oh, Paul says, let's bless God because he's blessed us with redemption through the blood of Jesus. And then he goes on to say, and what that amounts to, that amounts to the forgiveness of sin, the forgiveness of trespasses. See, the Bible uses many words to describe sinfulness. Uh, One of the words uh, would, would mean to miss the mark, to try and be what you ought to be, but you can't, and so you just miss the mark. Another word would mean to be unrighteous, and that is that God has a, a, a plan, a, a way that we ought to live, and we don't live that way. Rather than living the righteousness of God, we live the unrighteousness of our own lives, and that unrighteousness is sin. And the Bible has a word that describes walking down a path and instead of keeping on the path, you fall off to one side, you fall into the gutter or the, or the gully next to the road. And that's the word being used here for trespass. We've fallen off the path. But God takes our sin so seriously. Here's how you know God takes sin seriously. First is his wrath. God does not abide sin. You know, there's some people who say, well, why doesn't God just, just forgive everybody? I mean, what's the big deal? That's, that's a very simple thing to do. The Muslims say this. Tell you why. Because God loves you too much to allow sin in your life that's destroying you. It merits his wrath. And because of our sin, we deserve that, that wrath. But in our sin, as, as God has, has uh, forgiven our sins, that wrath is taken away in Jesus Christ. Christ takes the wrath for us, and then we are set free. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That sin taken so seriously. Um, very quickly. So, um, uh, you know, let us bless God who has blessed us by redeeming us, by buying us back out of our uh, infidelity and buying and, and putting us into the freedom of a relationship with him. All this by the blood of Jesus Christ. That means the forgiveness of our sins, forgiveness of our active rebellion against God, forgiveness of our passive indifference towards God, forgiveness of our sins. And all of this, let's uh, just close out verse 7, the forgiveness of our trespasses, and then it says, according to the riches of his grace. Now, uh, one commentator, William Hendricks, points out that it says according to his, the riches of his grace, not from the riches of his grace. And he makes this point. He says, look, imagine that you have two very, very wealthy men, right? Very rich men. They're both asked to donate to a charity. Maybe we're building a hospital or something. And the one man says, yes, I will give from my riches. And so he's got a lot of money. He's not going to miss it, so he gives a gift. 
And the hospital gets a gift. We're very thankful for that. And the guy's fulfilled his civic obligation. Nobody can complain about it, but he's kept most of it for himself. The other man says, oh, I'm convinced of the need for this hospital. And I love what you're doing there. And so I'm going to give according to my wealth, according to my riches. God has given me a lot. I will give a lot. Do you see what's happening here? It's not a miserly begrudging, I'll give some from what I have. It is a joyful giving of according to what I have. And so we are receiving the grace of God according to the riches of his grace. As boundless as the grace of God is, is how boundless that grace is for us. And that's why we bless him who blessed us first with every spiritual blessing, the blessing of redemption, the forgiveness of sins, all by the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, folks, I hope you understand the blessing of God that is yours. It'll transform your life. The places in your life will never look the same again. There will never be a darkness so dark but that you just rejoice in the light of Jesus Christ. There'll never be a pit so deep but that you don't rejoice that God's grace and love is deeper still. There'll never be a time of setback that you won't rejoice that God's victory is greater than the defeat you might think you're suffering. Oh, when you realize the depth of God's blessing toward us in Christ Jesus, it'll transform your life. And so now this week, whenever anybody says to you, have a blessed day, you're going to say, indeed I am. I'm having a blessed day right now because God my Father sent his Son to die in my place and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Now you can shorten that if you can and say it real, real fast. But, but the next time somebody says it, at least think it. And if you want extra credit, tell somebody, have a blessed day. And let me tell you how. Let's bow for prayer. And Father, thank you for the amazing grace you shed into our lives. And Father, we do pray that we would be ever thankful, ever grateful. Father, that... that uh, we would indeed bless and worship and praise your holy name because of who you are and what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. Father, as we go out of this place, let your Holy Spirit just uh, abide within us and guide us and lead us. And Father, make us vessels of your praise that you would receive glory in us. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.